Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta, and I'm so excited to introduce you to some old and new friends today. One is someone very dear to my heart, Alden Forbes, who is my niece. She just finished up her freshman year at Brown and is trying to figure out what's next when we're in the middle of this uh, COVID quarantine. And we are joined by her friend, Graham Campbell, who is about to enter Juilliard. And these guys are, we were just having such a fun conversation. I felt that it was really important that we share it with all of you and bring you into the conversation. We're talking about the human relationship with technology and how it's changing the way we work and live. And because of COVID and just the global reset in general, I think it's making us a lot more mindful about where technology sits in our lives and sort of the decisions that we make and the way that we move in the world. So I thought we'd bring in some young voices into the conversation and see where we land today. So I hope you enjoy today's show and uh, let's get going. You guys, when we were talking about this the other day, it's sort of, you know, I mentioned what I was doing my podcast and Alden, I've had you on my show, my other show, Global Nomad Hacks. And there we were talking about your gap year. But we also got a little bit into sort of where technology fit even with that. And Graham, you got really excited about sort of uh, apparently you guys have been talking about this a lot recently. And I think it's an important conversation to have. How about we just kick off with Graham, you want to just give us a little bit background on sort of who you are and sort of why technology is important to you or why this conversation is even relevant for you? Yeah. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I think... uh... Well, I met Alden growing up doing theater together. We acted together in, you know, several productions over the years. And I think that that's a very hands-on, face-to-face, in-person sort of art form. And it was kind of my means of learning about the world and about relationships and connection and, and how important it is to look somebody else in the eye and to, to share the same air, same breath, same, you know, sweat, same work and focus and stuff like that. And how over time... Not to not to immediately jump anti-technology, but I, I think I, over time, started to realize that there was a sort of a divide growing in what I understood as kind of the significance of, of intimacy of a relationship just growing up in theater and like having friends like you. And so I sort of like that was when I first started to wrap my head around the fact that we were this like experimental generation of like the first kind of young group of kids that grew up with everything at their fingertips whenever we we needed it. And I think that theater is is very is kind of juxtaposes that it's like a very slow unfold in-person process oriented not not even arriving on a product sort of mentality so i found like an increased reliance on technology was sort of jarring for me the way that i was was structured so i just yeah i guess that yeah (laughs) that's it (laughs) yeah no that's super helpful and what about you alden i think yeah agreeing with graham in that i think it's almost rare that we grew up in an environment where we have to have so much person-to-person interaction and we rely so much on humans themselves instead of media. And so on one hand, I'm really grateful for that. But I also, I think sometimes where I differ from Graham, which Mm -hmm. is going to be interesting, 
is that I'm not as anti-technology, but instead I can appreciate the ways that we can use it as a tool. And so I think, especially, I've been thinking about this a lot in the COVID times because it's there's this new thing of technology being able to unite us all from different like geographic locations. And so, for example, like I'm in a band and we've been able to keep playing music and keep putting content out because of technology. And so we've been making videos and that's been, and so in that way, we've been using technology as a tool and less of a distraction, which has been really nice. So I think I have sort of a mixed relationship with it and can appreciate it from both sides. For sure. And for those of you who have not already seen or heard Alden's <laughs> band, they're super fun. They're called Falling Walrus. And we'll make sure we put a link in the show notes so you guys can find them and follow them. Lots of really cool stuff that you guys did. You had a little adventure there traveling <laughs> around the U.S., which is quite unusual during COVID times. Totally. But you did. You guys did some really fun stuff. It's interesting to juxtapose your your positions on there. And I would say I agree, obviously, with both sides. Yeah, sure. And I, I think... For you know the the purpose of conversation, I think it's really important to recognize that a lot of people assume that because you guys, your generation, Gen Z, was sort of you know born with technology, sort of it was already integrated into everything. Although the iPhone didn't come out until after you guys were what you know seven or yeah. something, yeah. but and you may not have had one until you were a teenager, mm-hmm. but. That is really the time when you would have been accessing a lot of the things outside of your home and outside of your environment anyway. So you're sort of in those early years, you're in your own sort of familial bubble and within family and friends. So you maybe didn't even had had there not been technology, it wouldn't have necessarily made a difference. Yeah. But I think it's interesting to see where your emotional response was, Graham, in terms of you mentioned yesterday when we were talking about. Uh, you were out on a fishing trip with your dad. Can you yeah. share that story? Because I think that's that was something that I think a lot of us have had moments like that. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. I was talking about how I, a few days ago I was off with my dad and we were fishing and we were looking at the sunset. And it was like just this gorgeous image. And I was so happy to be there with my father and like just sharing what I would consider to be one of the better moments of my whole quarantine. And my immediate thought, like what I pressed the significance on, I was like, this would look great on Instagram. Like that's how I'm framing important moments in my life right now. I was like, oh, I wish, I wish I could, you know, frame this as an image and and share it. So I'm I'm curious, was for you, was that about like this would make a great photograph and I could capture it, or was it about I want to share this moment with with my people? Yeah, you know, it's it's sort of both, but the last part of that is I think what's most important is that it's not really my people. So much as the majority, I'd say 80, 90% of the people that follow me, I probably have never met. And if mm-hmm. so, have in a very limited capacity. And I actually think it's more about like, we were talking about this, is this sort of quarantine has instilled this need for sort of control on things because there's been such a lack of control. And like the one thing that I think social media allows me and like allows our generation to control is like our image. So like mm-hmm. for the 20 minutes after I were to post that, maybe you know, I would live, I would be able to live in only that, you know, and people would see me as only that as only this good moment kind of thing. So I honestly think it was more about like hoping I could shape a, an image of myself. Out to the as world. part of the branding of Graham. Right. So are a lot of, you're saying a lot of the followers you don't actually know. So do a lot of people follow you because of your acting? Is that sort of, 
you know, your branding in that way or? Yeah, I, I think over the years you just sort of garner, it's like in the same way that, you know, friends of friends hear about friends. I think mm -hmm. there's like, you start in different communities, but I think, I honestly think as superficial as this might sound right off the bat, that a lot of people just follow me based on the fact of being like conventionally attractive and like that there's this like influencer mentality of Instagram and like people wanting to associate with people like that for better, for worse. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. I certainly see that in uh, in other young people that I speak with. And I, it always surprises me because I think our, my generation, which is, you know, Gen X, we're probably more inclined to be selective may not be the word, but more sort of discriminatory as to who we connect with. Mm -hmm. It's more, okay, I connect with you because I actually have a frame of reference. And so you know, we may not have as many followers. And of course, you know, there's plenty, there's influencers that are Gen X as well that are really more about their brand. But I think people who are using it personally mm. tend to be more like, well, I don't want them following me or they will have a private account. That's What's sad. your thoughts on the private versus public accounts? I, don't know if you, yeah. I think a lot of that to me, I mean, because we grew up as sort of the guinea pigs of technology, I remember learning in middle school about safety and technology, like the importance of remaining safe mm -hmm. in technology. Like not putting your location. Exactly, on, exactly. Follow, so. Yeah. And so I think, but I also think what's interesting about the idea of a private account is that, for example, I think my Instagram is private or was at a certain point, And I still wasn't super selective about who followed me. It was more like I wouldn't let someone who's completely random follow me. However, I would let someone who goes to school at the local middle school and like might know a few of my friends, mm -hmm. but I've never heard of. And so I think that that's the major difference between, say, my mom's Instagram and my Instagram is that it's super customary for people in our generation to have thousands of followers who we don't know, like Graham was talking about. And in that sense, it's also sort of that's it's how people often first meet you or first get your first impression. And so I think that the image that we put out as young people is far more important because it can often be sort of how you define yourself and how others define you, mm -hmm. which we were talking about is, yeah, is sort of interesting as because Graham's going to college in the fall. And so he's meeting all of these new people and suddenly he's thinking about, Oh, how are they interpreting what my Instagram means? And how, what do they think of me because of how I'm projecting my image on this platform? And so that's another thing to think about is that it's how we make connections now. Instead of meeting people at a party or at an event, you're meeting people online. And so that's something that I think our generation is really using Instagram in a different way. Well, and to that point, I mean, you guys both just went through the college application mm -hmm. process and you've probably looked for jobs mm -hmm. and things like that. And particularly being in the entertainment industry and, you know, you as an actor and you as a, as a singer, your potential school or your potential, you know, new hire, your new job 
they're going to be looking at your Instagram account. Mm-hmm. They're going to be looking at Facebook if you have one, which most, if I understand it, most of your generation has Facebook so they can watch their parents yeah, mm-hmm. right. and see what they're up the to. Yeah. Took yeah. Over. That was yeah. <laughs> they started making sure that like they're still on there, but it's all about sort of making sure their parents are behaving right. and not posting embarrassing pictures <laughs> yeah. and things yeah, like and that. Untagging yourself. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's all about control of right. the image within the parents. Right. Thing. Is that something that concerns you in that, yes, you are controlling your image, but I certainly see some of your generation that are also posting things that are inappropriate that could mm-hmm. limit their ability to get jobs or get get into schools. That's something my dad talks about that a lot, actually, because yeah. we have another friend. I guess who shall remain nameless. Is <laughs> also an actor, a studying actor, and really just kind of will post anything, whatever. It has to do with substance abuse. It has to do with you know, applicationing, things like that, and all this stuff that is not in any way morally corrupt so much as it once it's out there, it's out there. And like, I, I just think, I think the world, it depends on the industry you're going into, but I think the world in general is changing mm-hmm. because there's such open access to everybody's lives now that there's less of like a, like a sophisticated way to like be a business person because like, I, I, you look at like social media problems like Mark Zuckerberg and things like that. Yeah. Just people that became like icons of, of industry are just human beings again. I think that our generation also thinks about, like we were talking about the contrast between Instagram and Facebook. And I think our generation thinks about what we post in very different ways and curates each site in a different way. So if I'm posting on Facebook, I might curate it so that I know that my grandma is seeing this. And so I might not post a picture of, you know, someone with a beard versus Instagram, it's way more, I have a private account and most young people follow me. And so I'm thinking less about, you know, is this something that I'm okay with an employer seeing Mm -hmm. or with my grandmother seeing? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, and that's a common way of thinking, I think, Mm -hmm. for young people is each site is different. And so, you know, LinkedIn is a whole other thing and, and people curate them in different ways. And so then there becomes the question of what's the authentic image that you're putting out. Like I think if an employer looked at someone, a young person's Instagram versus Facebook, it would give them a very different story of who who are you. And that's what's so interesting is that you can shape it exactly. depending on platform and depending on what you want people to see. Yeah. And make sort of a leap like that's why I think mental health wise it's such a challenge because yes. then you're you have three different paths of your created reality that are pulling you out of, you know, what you might authentically just exist as. But sorry, before I forget, could I say something about the private versus public thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you mentioned that your mom has a very different account than you. And I think, I mean, I follow her, but I think she has a private account, right? Yeah. And my mom has a private account. My my mom's name isn't even in the bio. She just follows like 10 or 12 people that she wants to keep in touch with. And I think your mom's the same way. She doesn't mm-hmm. post a lot. It's more about seeing things, yeah. commenting on your things coming on your, like me, like it's so, it warms my heart when Al yeah. comments on a photo <laughs> of mine, you know, just cause like she's there on Instagram to pay attention to the people in her lives. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I admittedly am on Instagram to get attention yes. for my own life. Yeah. And I think that's the generational shift is that like, we're there to try to get attention Yeah. and my mom and your mom are there to, to, to pay, pay attention, attention. That may be partially generational and may also be partially in the nature of the work that you and what yes. your interests are. So just to put that frame of reference in there, because of, you know, being, being in entertainment, 
you you know you have to be putting out a particular image mm-hmm. and you you need to really cultivate that yeah. image for myself for example i have you know i have an instagram account for my podcast and then i also have my personal instagram account my Insta- my personal instagram account is totally just like you know family pictures mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff but the podcast one obviously is much more and and i have one for my business and same thing with on facebook i have a professional page which is all my professional stuff but i don't want to you know, bother my family and friends mm-hmm. with all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I try to make sure that when people that I don't really know, but that, you know, are reaching out to me professionally want to connect. I'm like, that's great. Connect with me on my page. Sure. Yeah. Don't connect with me personally because you're going to be enjoying pictures of my dog and my children. Yeah. And, right. and you know, <laughs> if that doesn't interest you, then we probably shouldn't be connected <laughs> right. there. I think there's also like to speak to what Graham was saying about, young people being the ones who are curating their pages, I think for the most part, yes. And, but also I think that the older generation and anyone speaking generally curates their Instagram in a, in the sense that they post, here's my dog and here's my family. And like, here's us having a great time at the beach or having a family picnic instead of I'm having a horrible day today, anyone else. Or, and so I think in that sense, social media gets a little bit dangerous because you fall into this trap of comparison of, oh, Heidi had an amazing day with her family and Graham's over here at the lake and having a great time and I'm feeling gross today or I'm not having a great time and everybody else is because nobody posts authentic, you know, bad days. And so I think that that can also be dangerous is that I find myself often running into my friends and saying, oh, it looks like you're having a great time in quarantine or it looks like you're thriving right now in college and they aren't. And mm-hmm. so I think there's this sort of, not that it creates this lie, but it's very curated no matter what you're posting. For sure, for sure. And But I do think, and I'm curious as to whether you guys have experienced this as well during quarantine, a lot of realness came mm-hmm. out. You know, there was like, I am feeling miserable today. This is a shout out. Who else is? Yes. And there was a lot more people saying, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was like a whole series of like quarantine hair, bad, yeah. Yeah. bad hair day. <laughs> like, oh, you know, and all the men with their like crazy beards. Yeah, right. And I, it just felt like there was a little more realness coming out mm-hmm. because people were just like, look, okay, here is actually a channel for me to, connect and say, Hey, I need, I need connection and I need someone to realize that I'm real and I'm hurting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But to circle back a little bit, you talked a little bit about sort of the mental health issue. And I think that that's a really important one to bring out. Is that something that you've experienced within your community or friend group? There's certainly, I mean, I know a lot of schools try to have conversations Mm -hmm. about it, but whether kids actually engage with those conversations they, you know, there's a lot of services that are available to them, but when people are really suffering, they often have blinders on and, yeah. and well, not only do they not recognize their own suffering, but they don't reach out to get that help. Mm-hmm. Is that something you've seen or is any, you know, is that something that you're concerned about in within your communities or is it something that you just sort of hear about? Well, this is something else that you and I have been talking about recently is that like I've noticed a lot of mental health complications starting later in life Mm -hmm. for myself and my friends around me, like people Mm -hmm. that we grew up 
So, which makes me think maybe it's less centralized on like an actual chemical imbalance and more circumstantial. And I think that like, we were talking about this the other day, how like how much has changed in terms of our perception of the world and like our good days and our bad days and our anxieties and stuff like that. And like my personal mode was like, okay, what can I attribute that to? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it actually did come down to social media for me in general, just because I think like, I never considered myself to be an anxious person growing up. I mean, like I had like little things of like separation anxiety from my parents and like a little bit of like cleanliness stuff, but I was never like, it was, it never ran my life. And when I got to high school and like, I, and I timeline wise is when sort of Instagram and, and Snapchat and all this stuff was booming. I started to notice it getting worse and worse. And like, I, I think it's that like biologically my brain is not prepared or equipped to internalize the weight of 10 other people's days as well as my own. So like mm -hmm. when I go on Instagram and especially during quarantine, because just the state of the world, it's an endless spew of bad news. And not mm -hmm. that that should ever be ignored, mm -hmm. but that it's, I realize how important it is to take a break at the end of the day, because biologically I'm only meant to be able to process what's going on in front of me in this room with you two, you know, and the second that I take a break from that, read three different headlines see two other posts, see something I should donate to something I shouldn't like all this stuff. Like I have now also shouldered the anxiety of people in different places in the world, you know, yeah. it just, it's got to be a lot. Well, for sure. But I mean, coming from the, my, you know, my behavioral scientist hat, yeah. you know, in human development, that is pretty normal that when you get to between the ages of about 18 to 22, your perception of the world expands mm -hmm. where you're, you know, up until then, you're pretty much totally self-involved. Yeah. yeah. And so you're not, you know, you're busy sort of building who you are. Yeah. And then all of a sudden around, you know, 18, for some people, it happens much later, they stay in that little bubble. But mm -hmm. if you are an evolving human being, you all of a sudden will open. And sometimes that readiness is, it's too soon, you mm -hmm. know, and, and particularly now I, th you know, I totally hear you with now you're getting bombarded with, right. you know, all of a sudden you're open to, okay, I'm not the only person on this planet that, you know, it's not everything revolves around me. Right. There are other things that happen, but if you're in any way an empath, it can be very, very hard yes. and, and it can be very traumatic because it's all of a sudden, not only do you realize, Hey, there's a bigger world around me and look at all these things and how can I help? Mm -hmm. But it's like, wow, everything's falling apart and <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that, you know, particularly in this time where everyone, no one knows what's next. And, you know, the old normal is we're never going back to mm -hmm. that. Right. We're never going back to that. And in some ways that's good because a lot of things were broken mm. to be clear, but anxiety is something we're all experiencing mm. right now. So I think it's, it's very easy to blame it on the technology mm. or on the Instagram or social media. That of course is giving it a megaphone mm. for sure. But I think that what you, part of what you're experiencing is just your own ability to perceive, you know, the world as you know, you're part of something much bigger than yourself. Yeah. And I think that the weight of that can be really, really hard. Also exciting yeah. because it's an opportunity to be part of something bigger. Mm. But I think that, you know, you're, the, you're, what you're experiencing is, you know, we all experienced it in going mm -hmm. through those stages as well. It's just that we didn't have that megaphone. Mm. Right. So, 
it maybe took us longer to get to the global perception of it. Mm. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, and some of us were lucky to be able to travel and, you know, got to see a little bit of, wow, you know, every, there's people like us everywhere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everybody, you know, it's like, there's a teenager here and there's a, you know, it doesn't matter what part of the world you are. There's a mother here that has the same experience that I have as a mother. And mm-hmm. it's exciting. And it's also daunting as an empath, which I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unfortunately, in our, unfortunately, or fortunately <laughs> in our family, we've got a lot of them. And yeah. so we put a lot of weight of the world on our shoulders unnecessarily. Fortunately for us, people like us who get to be friends with you guys. But yeah, I can exactly. imagine, unfortunately <laughs> <for> you. <laughs> so, I mean, from that perspective, uh, do you find that you have to create boundaries? Have you learned to create boundaries around sort of that megaphone so that you can you know, have the impact that you want or find the purpose that you need. I mean, you guys are in an incredible place in your life where you have so many opportunities to learn and to explore and to decide which direction you're going to take. But, you know, and and that can be very daunting, of course, too. But at the same time, it's a big shift for you naturally anyway. And, and so I think I'm curious, like, what kind of boundaries have you learned in order to and, and so for those of you who are listening, I'm talking to Alden now, sort of, and, and I definitely want to get your perception on this too, Graham, but I'm curious as an empath, what kind of boundaries have you used for creating that safe space to be able to evolve? Yeah, I think that social media for me has been a wonderful tool on one hand to understand what's happening in the world. And I think because of that empath part of me. I can hear about something or hear a story and it won't register as much as if I pull up Instagram and I see a video of something happening in the world and I can understand what's happening and feel it. And so I think in that way, social media, most notably Instagram, I think, especially lately with the Black Lives Matter movement and a lot of feminist movements are popping up on social media. And I think that one of the reasons why they're gaining so much traction is because people are seeing it instead of reading an article or hearing someone tell a story. And so I think that that is really, really important right now, especially for empaths, because I feel like I've been able to understand it. And I think one thing that I'm understanding also is that it's really important to get different perspectives on it. And so I think that my Instagram, for example, And the people that I follow are very, for the most part, liberal, who are pumping out this information that's, you know, here's how you can help the Black Lives Matter movement. Here's how you can help with the abortion movement. And so there are all of these things that are being pumped out of me that are from one perspective. And so I think where my boundaries come from is that I use Instagram and other platforms as a tool to learn about this, but I also have to recognize that it's coming from a very specific perspective. And Mm -hmm. so I think my boundaries, honestly, as ironic as it is, where they come into play is that I need to open up my blinders Mm -hmm. and go to a different place to get this news or watch this video instead of the ones that you're seeing on Instagram. And so I think that's a big part of where the boundaries that I've put in place. I also think it's really good right now for especially white people of privilege to be 
seeing these things and be forced to feel uncomfortable sure, about yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really, that's a really great thing that Instagram specifically has offered during these movements, especially the Black Lives Matter movement, is that we have to confront it. And mm-hmm. that's awesome because I don't want to put up those boundaries because I understand what's going on and I have a wider perspective on it. And so I think, yeah, I think the blinders and the boundaries come from me wanting to learn more and be more involved because I've been forced to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it, that's that's such an important thing to think about and just the opportunity to have uncomfortable conversations yeah. and get into sort of get comfortable in your discomfort. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and just recognize that, hey, there's things that need to change. Mm-hmm. And what's our role? Exactly. What about you, Graham? Yeah, I was going to say, like, directly, I have a couple things to say, but one is directly off of what you just said. And I think, like, the boundary that I found was important was to know when I have put myself through enough that I'm not going to empty myself out. Like, I think the discomfort is the most crucial step, especially as a, a cishet white person of immense privilege, like poster child of privilege. It was, like, refreshing is not the right word, but it had the same benefit of feeling refreshed in the sense that I was finally exposed to things that I had sort of been living my entire life with with blinders on. But what I found is that right off the bat, I felt like it was my duty to intake as much of it as humanly possible because like I hadn't and I didn't have to every day I could sleep at night Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about, you know, like my life and my safety and things like that. So I was like, wow, okay, so I really better take this in. And what I found was that at the end of the day, the only thing that I had left in me was resentment. And I think as an empath, I guess what I've learned through ups and downs of being an empath is that it is, if you consider yourself to be empathetic to other people, that necessitates how important it is what you then are putting out. And when I realized at the end of the day that the only thing that I was full of was negativity, I got really, really scared. Mm-hmm. Because if I was running on empty and if all I could put out to the world was resentment, and I'm a huge believer in, you know, just sort of the secular nature of karma and what you put out is what comes back. And like, that's when I got worried. So the boundary for me was like knowing when and how to set the recharge away from social media so that when you come back, it's not negativity that I'm bringing to the table. It's something more productive and more informed. And like, but the, I guess recently what I've been navigating is like how to recharge without sinking into, into privilege. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think it's just a balance. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you guys are right on the right track and, you know, it's easy for us to sit in our comfort and talk about discomfort, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's, you know, we can only, the, the best thing that we can do is start somewhere, right? Yeah. And, and it's when you don't take any kind of action or, and, and I, I think, um, this summer I've been just trying to read as mm-hmm. much as I can get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And I've been, you know, reaching out to anybody that can help me provide, yeah. you know, provide good perspective. I'm curious because both of you guys, you, you both came from an area that is predominantly white mm-hmm. and myself as well. Uh, I live in, in a town in California that is, there's just not, many people of color mm-hmm. in, in general. And I think what's what's been really interesting is to see other people's perspective and response to it. And of course, everything right now is complicated by the COVID, mm-hmm. right? Because you want to go out and shout in the streets. Well, is that safe? Yeah, <laughs> right? right, Some places right. it's not so safe. So 
in the, I think, you know, it's one of the best things we can do is educate ourselves mm-hmm. and to have those uncomfortable conversations and to listen to the people that are the authorities on it to really understand, you know, what we can do to make a difference. And I think there's there's some really one of the wonderful things that I've really appreciated about social media is the opportunity to seek out those conversations yeah. and to seek out, you know, the there's this drawing a blank on his name, but he does this wonderful series on on Facebook and on YouTube that's called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you guys watched this? No. Look it up, you know, just Google it. But it's they're just brilliant conversations. Mm-hmm. And he's I think he's a former football player. He's a former athlete of mm-hmm. some sort. He's incredibly well spoken. But he just really gets right to the heart of it. And mm-hmm. I, I so appreciate that. And I would never have access to that had it not been yeah. for social media. Somehow it came into my feed and then I've been following these conversations and they're really helpful and insightful. Mm. So I think, yes, finding that perspective yeah. is so important and recognizing that our own curated selection of who we listen to or who we hear from or who follows us or we follow them. It's fine to have the things that you're curating, but to recognize that if you're curating too narrow and not getting those other perspectives and to not just, if someone says something that is contrary to what you believe, you don't just cut off the conversation, right? To maybe invite them into the conversation and say, why do you believe this? Mm -hmm. I don't, I I, I want to understand. Yeah. Is that something that you find in your peer group that you, that people do ask those questions or are they more inclined to say, Oh, well, I don't agree with them. I don't want to spend time with that person. Well, what's interesting is that personally I've grown up in a very liberal environment, but I've actually been having a lot of conversations with my sister Mm. about this because she has a much more politically diverse friend group than I ever was exposed to. And so she's much more used to having these conversations about, you know, let me listen to your perspective on this, even if I don't agree, or I would love to hear your side because I am not getting fed this information at home. And so I think that's super important and is something that I never had. And yeah, so I think I'm forgetting what the question was. I think you answered it very well, actually. I was just talking about like seeking out other perspectives and and not sort of just automatically shutting them off if they don't agree with you. And I think it's, it's very easy to stick in your comfort zone and be like, oh, well, I don't agree with them. So they're not my people. Mm -hmm. But I've got a couple people that have sort of pushed my buttons in that Mm -hmm. way that I've noticed recently on social media that they have different political beliefs. They have different, you know, there's some things that we just don't agree on, but I have made a sort of that conscious effort to continue to follow them because there are a lot of things that we do agree on. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, what is it that's driving their perspective that way? And what, what is it that I'm missing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it may, you know, for some people it's very much a single issue thing that will drive them to, to be supportive of a certain candidate or a, a certain issue or whatnot, or they may have a personal context. It's kind of like that, that whole thing of, you know, just knowing that everybody's got their own stuff. Yeah. Right. Mm. And it's so easy to just assume that everybody's got the same story. It's like, no, 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 no. Even you guys who grew up in similar environments, 
you know, in the, you know, the same area you had, you did a lot of the same activities. You've each got your own stories. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And particularly now that you've gone off and, you know, had a couple of years after high school right. to go do things. Mm -hmm. There's different, you know, other different experiences, both good and bad mm -hmm. that have defined who you are and the way that you react to things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I'm curious about, because during that time, you've also curated new people in mm -hmm. your mm -hmm. follower and peer groups. And how have those, you know, obviously using technology probably to maintain contact with those peers. How do you think that that has framed who you are as an individual and the decisions that you're making going forward? The new meeting new people. Mm -hmm. I have realized how rare it is for anybody to be right. I think is like mm -hmm. one of the exciting and terrifying <laughs> things about becoming an adult. We're talking about this yet, not to keep bringing up our wonderful mothers, but yeah. like <laughs> they're the best. But we were talking about it yesterday, how like that first realization that you have that like maybe you'll run into a scenario mm -hmm. where you might know the better choice than your mom does or your dad does. And like navigating that path into adulthood, I think there's like, I lost such a sense of security as the world gets bigger and you gain more perspectives and you meet more people from different places. You realize how many paths there are. Yeah. And that like, you know, it's like you said, you grow up in such a self-centric world that like the release of anybody and th this is super heightened now just given you know the natural state of things but like that nobody 100 knows anything i think was refreshing and terrifying at the same time for mm -hmm. me i think it's also interesting just to sort of answer the question about how it's been meeting new people for a little context i spent last year traveling and so that's something that my dad has done and a lot of people in my life have done sort of quote unquote backpacked. And one thing that I've talked about that's different for me versus his experience 30 years ago is that I am still in touch with the people that I have seen and met. And so I think that is really interesting to me of you know, I can, I can follow someone on Instagram and still feel connected to them or still feel like, you know, if I was in their area, I would one, know they were there and two, have access to messaging them or to, yeah, to, to getting into contact with them. And so that I think is a major difference between our generation and the ones prior and will continue to grow. And I think that this whole networking web is just getting so much bigger with technology, which can be for better or for worse, depending on how you look at it. I think it really opens a lot of new doors that previously were sort of kept in a certain circle. Or I've been talking with my friends about how, you know, it definitely expands the way that people can connect and opens access to people who wouldn't have had access to those networking mm -hmm. events or other things like that before. And so I think that in that way, technology is a really good tool. But on the other hand, it's not necessarily as authentic. Like if you meet someone in person, I've met people, especially while traveling, that you meet and you love and then you go and look at their social media and it's a completely different thing and you don't even recognize them. Or so in that sense, I feel even more distanced from them because mm. then, you know, in two years, I can't look at their Instagram and see what they're up to because it's not authentic. Because it's so sort of like pigeon house. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So this is and something we were talking about yesterday is that like I feel that I have spent so much time 
trying to live in my social media image that I have actually forgotten how to be comfortable living authentically as who I am. Yeah. And like, that's where going back to the mental health thing, like I think a lot of just my insecurities and anxiety in general are coming with me, not feeling me feeling inadequate in some way or like, not like I'm really grounded in myself because I've been living or trying to live so much as what I could have, cre- I've created as like what I want to be, mm-hmm. which was not a thing growing up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, as you're saying that I'm thinking about like the fact that you guys, my kids, like they, you know, they follow my Facebook to see what I'm posting mm-hmm. to make sure it's not a bad picture of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. You know, it's a real picture. Exactly. I wouldn't post it if it was a bad picture. Exactly. It's a real picture. And I think that's something that you sort of settle into with age, you know, 50 plus, you're like, whatever. Yeah, right. You know, it's like, I am who I am. Yeah. You don't like me yeah. by now. Exactly. Well, exactly. too bad. Exactly. And I'm going to keep on evolving and be as wacky as I've always been. Right. But maybe I don't care about sharing that wacky side mm-hmm. of myself a right. little bit more. One thing I want to, before we close, I want to, just ask you, this is sort of circling back to the global nomad piece on the, on our other show, but really, I mean, you guys are so fortunate in that because of COVID, and I do feel that this has been a bit of a gift is that we've recognized that you can work remotely. You can go to school remotely and none of us really know what's going to happen in the, you know, in the near term in terms of, you know, will you be able to go back to school or, or, or whatnot? You know, does that make you feel untethered in the way that there's possibility that you could live anywhere on the planet? You could do whatever you want to do in terms of expanding your possibilities? Or is that, you know, what, what's your reaction to that? I don't want to feed, you know, yeah. sort of a positive or a negative yeah. to that. But how does that feel to have the opportunity to be untethered? For me, in speaking specifically for the performing arts world, mm-hmm. it really was weird because I've always thought of theater specifically as something that I is in person and very based off of human connection. And so that in that sense, I I felt more distant than I ever had from theater. And I also feel like that might be the last thing to open up because the world is changing. And so in that sense, it actually magnified the importance of the human connection part of mm-hmm. theater, which is something that I love doing. And then in terms of my music stuff that I'm doing, it made it more accessible because I was still making videos with my friends and my band. And But also we were not, you know, as we were traveling just recently, we talked a lot about how different it was when we weren't all together because so much of what we do is based off of, you know, what you get energetically from others. And so I think that in that sense, it really drilled it in for me that my technology can be a great tool for doing these things, but I want the human connection. And so whether I'm living in Europe or in America, I think I'm going to need to find that wherever mm-hmm. I am. And so technology can be helpful, but it also can stop that from happening. And so that's the line that I think that I learned I need to draw mm-hmm. for myself. Yeah. Yeah. On a personal level, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so glad you used the word untethered because I think I've said it like 10 times just yeah. in the last few days because like just for a lot of reasons, like obviously everything's somewhat untethered, but I'm between communities right now. So mm-hmm. I, I've graduated high school and like willingly and, you know, gladly sort of left it in the dust. <laughs> and 
you know, in this gap between moving on to another community. So I, I didn't realize how much of my own identity was wrapped up in stress, even mm-hmm. like in having something to be stressed about and in having commitments and in having, you know, a pack mentality to sort of shape my identity. So this, this feeling of being untethered really forced me to figure out who I am sort of when, when I have nothing to inform that, which is a very daunting task that I, I didn't expect to be daunting as it was. But I think on more of a global scale, there's no roadmap right now. Mm-hmm. And I think if one thing's clear across the board, it's that the old way was not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that we were on a, a path, basically a death sentence, and more and more people were waking up to that. And that's in terms of systemic racism, climate change, pandemic response, like just all these mm-hmm. things that are, you know, coming out of the woodworks as being like really poorly structured and organized. That has been blown up entirely mm-hmm. in the sense that the old way was not working. And we're in really uncharted territory. So I think as a a generation, it's actually a really exciting time to be alive because I just wonder who's going to write the map, Mm -hmm. you know? Totally. For sure. I think it's a great closing statement. I love that. Actually, it was funny. I was, I think I was talking to your dad, Mm -hmm. my brother, and he said, uh, Willow, who is Alden's sister, made some comment about, thanks for leaving such a mess for us. You know? <laughs> 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 it was really, wow, okay, so yeah. it's all our generation's yeah, right. fault. When they talk about generations, they always forget to talk about Generation yep. X. Yeah. So I don't think we count. I yeah. think it was really more the baby boomers and the millennials that made the mess for right, now we're cleaning up. Oh. <laughs> anyway, I could go on like this forever, but unfortunately my episodes are really, you know, around the 45-minute max Mm-hmm. marker so we might just have to have you guys back for another <laughs> yeah. conversation six months from now yeah. we'll see where we're at right, right. but such a joy to have you on the show and thank you for joining us today thank you for joining us today digital selfers i hope you enjoyed today's show and if you enjoy the show and haven't already please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes and if you really enjoyed it we always appreciate a rating and review and please let us know if you do so we can send you back a little love And until next time, bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.